Okay, shall we? Let's jump into Second Thessalonians today. Let me open with a question. Who is stronger? You or Satan? If I were to say who's stronger between you between Jesus and Satan, that's an obvious one. But the question is to think about what we have been invited to do is to image and reflect Christ's likeness in a fallen world. And so the question I ask again is, who is stronger? You, Christian, or the prince of this world? Hmm, it's worth interesting uh, to think about because today as we're gonna get into the question of why do people then succumb to the darkness and aren't drawn, attracted to the light, if Christ is so beautiful and wonderful, then Christian, are you strong enough to really endure all that's going on in this world in order to show and reflect Christ to those who don't know him? There's a question that, uh, there's lots of questions in this passage that we can address, but I just want to go into one area in particular. It's this idea that what you have as, as a Christian, the unbeliever does not have, and it makes you more powerful and enables you, empowers you to move in ways that are way beyond our thinking. So be prepared to be stretched by the Spirit of God. He's introducing us to a way to relate to the fallen world in ways that we normally don't think about. And on a beautiful day like this, I thought, this, is, this, this passage, this, this message, I don't know if there is a, is a good day that's gonna take you into uh, the, the hard things, the dark things that people are dealing with. But this is one that I hope you, you learn and, and uh, ask questions about and dig in with me because it's a question about how does hope handle evil? And so as you think about this in terms of the, the uh, definition of what we understand evil, uh, evil is, is a word that we don't like to talk about because it's one of these polite fictions. We don't discuss these things. But if you notice what evil is, if you turn that word around, what do you get? You get the word live. And so the idea of evil is that which undoes life, that which is undoing of what is good, that which reduces you as a man or a woman. Evil is out to destroy your body, your mind, your emotions, your perspective. Evil comes <clears throat> in the form, in lots of forms, but we know this idea, but we never talk about it. But today what I want to do is to look at several goals for the understanding of what Paul is doing to these young people, young believers in Thessalonica in, chapter, in the second book. He's really trying to help them deal with evil that is really trying to attack and destroy their faith. Now all the way along from first Thess to the second Thess, you see Paul's commitment is to build the church to strengthen the believers wherever he and Barnabas and the disciples went, Silvanus and Timothy, their goal was to make you strong in Christ. And that goal would mean that you would be able to discern and ascertain the darkness, the moves of the Satan, that you would not be ignorant, as he would say often. You know this, you know this very well. You were taught this when we were with you. And he would say, you stay true to the teaching which I gave to you. 
because you'll have a discernment to know what is true and what is false. And so the goals today, we want to look at how Paul is working to bring hope to strengthen the believers for the purpose of worship, for the purpose of understanding how faith works. And so if you understand what Paul is trying to say is what you have been given in the kingdom, in the gospel, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit, makes you a person that is set apart. And because you have a relationship with Christ, there are people who don't have that relationship that will attack you. And therefore, how do you respond to people who really want to destroy, to hurt, to put you down? Now, for most of us, we don't live in that kind of world. You don't have bullets flying over your head as they do in Sri Lanka. You don't have communist police on every corner in Cuba watching, monitoring you. You don't have people who are stealing, breaking in China into your library and taking all of your Christian books. We are not subject to that kind of persecution here in the United States because Satan is smart enough to know you guys wouldn't fall for it. You wouldn't put up with it. But there are other things that Satan is doing among us. But I want you to see too how God uses your hope as the son and a daughter of light, when you speak to the son or daughter of darkness, as we talked about last week, so that you can minister to the persecutors. You can torment the tormentors by giving them love. You will make them crazy. And we'll, we'll look at that a little bit. But to grow, to be competent, to be clever, and to be compassionate in dealing with destructive influences. And that's what we're going to look at as you look at Paul. And so as you look at the book of, of 1 Thessalonians, remember what Paul is doing. He left on his second missionary journey. He's, he's out of Philippi. And he was chased out of Philippi. He's into Thessalonica. He was only there for three weeks. And then that short amount of time, in the three weeks, he planted a church. He gave them enough instruction, told, the Lord, told them that the Lord was coming. And then he was chased out of town. And so he went down to Athens. And now he's over in Corinth. And in Corinth, in A.D. 51, he writes a letter back. Several months after he had just left them. Now, he had taught them that the Lord was coming. He taught them that he'd be coming soon. And like a thief in the night, he's going to surprise those who don't know him. But for the believers, they would not be surprised because Paul had prepared them. Be looking for his coming. So that eschatology, the end hope, he just got in the front door and then he took off. So they had some questions about Paul, we have, we have some questions. So he, they wrote a letter to Paul, and this is his response back to their, some of their questions. And so the time, this young group of people, I want you to hear this, they were most vulnerable. Now, if you were Satan, when would you most likely attack a believer? When he's strong or when he's weak? Well, duh. When he's weak. And they're not put together yet. But they are faithfully growing in Christ. And so first, this, he starts off, he says, you guys, we thank God because you heard the word of God. Not because we said it, because you understood this came from heaven. 
And you received that word, not because of Paul, but because of the Spirit of God had opened their eyes and was drawing them into the kingdom. And in 1 Thess 1, 3, you know, Paul says, we thank God for you because uh, you are growing in faith. We constantly bear in mind your work of faith and labor of love and your steadfastness of hope. So there was an anchor in these Christians, and yet they were most vulnerable to the attack of Satan, and they were. And therefore, Paul was concerned. He really was concerned and cared care for these because in other places where Paul would go, Christians would give in and quit. In the book of Galatians, Paul was shaking his head going, oh my, I am so amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you for a different gospel. And if an angel comes and preaches to you a different gospel, these false teachers, you're going to listen to them, but they're accursed. And Paul was concerned that the Galatians were going back to the old law and forgetting Christ. In the book of Colossians, Paul was concerned about the Colossians believers, young believers, but still growing. But he says, I'm, I'm warning you, see to it that no one takes you captive by these elementary principles and these philosophies that you're hearing whirling around in your culture, in your head. They had certain things similar to Ouija boards or witchcraft or, or spirit, spiritism that they would go into a cave and they would read signs into smoke, fire from, uh, smoke from fire. And they were, they were just unusually uh, influenced by their culture. Paul says, don't let them take you captive. In Romans, he says, uh, be mindful and be transformed in your mind uh, that you don't follow the world, don't conform to the world. And yet these things are really coming after Christians. And I wanted to point out that this is still going on today. Scott Peck, used to be a psychiatrist for the Pentagon, wrote this book called People of the Lie. And that book was one that opened my eyes because he tried to introduce into the American Psychiatric Association, into the DSM, now five, a category of evil. Because in his counseling, he would see people who were evil. In that book, he talks about evil personalities. Then he talks about evil families. He talks about evil institutions. He talks about war. And when you have evil that's institutionalized or allowed, you have people who are following a lie. Menninger, likewise, wrote this book, Whatever Became of Sin, We've Lost That Language. And so he was saying there's something that's destroying people that bring them into counseling, but we don't talk about sin. We don't talk about moral evil. And then N.T. Wright, uh, his book is great on an understanding evil and the justice of God because you don't want justice for evil. Because if you just get justice, you just get justice. You want more than justice. You want transformation. And that's what Paul says. But we, we've gotten used to this idea when you hear these phrases, and George gets credit for the axis of evil. Now, I don't know about you thinking, but if you, were, if you were Satan, you would probably think, I'm not going to let you know I'm going to attack you. So if you were Satan, and you look at your life, what would be the best way to destroy your faith? 
You and you and you and you. How is Satan going to go and devour you this week or last week? What's his strategy? Because he's after you. Are you stronger than he is? That's the question. But this idea that he's out to destroy, because John 10.10 says, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. They would have it abundantly. But that thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. How would he do that in your world? Emotionally? Doubts? Fears? Worries? Preoccupation? Distractions? False gods? All kinds of things. Addictions? But for the Thessalonians... You have to understand what Paul is saying. God, Satan is going to work through all kinds of systems. He's going to work through your family. He's going to work through the theology systems. He's going to work through the educational systems. He's going to work through the political systems. Satan is going to work through all these relational contexts, but they're all going to affect you. And so if you don't know how to discern the subtleties of this, you wouldn't use it evil because you have this, we have this uh, hyper evil mindset. It's got to be dark and ominous. But evil is disguised as an angel of light. Therefore, when Paul said to the Thessalonians, he's coming, one of the things that Satan would say to the Thessalonians, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. Just like with Adam. He didn't really mean that, did he? I mean, you really think he's coming? No, that's not true. And they were worried. They thought, Paul, did Paul mislead us? Have we been duped? I mean, we believe that this myth that Jesus is, well, maybe, I don't know if he's coming back or not. He's not coming back, because if he's coming back, or if he's gone, it's already happened, and you're still here. And Paul, they were, they were worried. Was there something wrong with my faith? And Paul says, no, I need to write these guys because I don't want them to be disturbed. And so often Satan will disturb you in the middle of the night with questions that you can't answer. Have you ever had those late night times at 2 o'clock where you say, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? What's happening? And you have a battle with the Lord and you don't know if you can trust him because things really get tough at times. And you think, God hasn't spoken to me for a long time. And I don't think I'm really worthy of being spoken to. And all that tension that you get caught up, I don't know, if you're like me, and I bet you are on a good day or a bad day, <laughs> you struggle. And that struggle is part, part of the whole concept that you are alive spiritually. But Satan wants to take advantage and so into your life. And so Paul would say to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, we want you, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, that you would not be quickly shaken or even slowly shaken. He doesn't want Christians to be shaken, disturbed, so what you have with Paul is a real desire, a prayer, to say your hope has got to be crystal clear, that you know exactly what you know, 
and you know whom you know, and you know what he said he will do for you, that your convictions would not be shaken either by his spirit, some prophecy, that somebody would say, I have this spiritual prophecy, I said a word over you, and you're going to go through this tribulation, or you're going to be escaped. Some word of, spiritual word of prayer, somebody might say. Or it says, notice, that a letter as if it were from us. Somebody is trying to undermine Paul by writing a false letter to the Thessalonians and signing Paul. This happened a lot. There were false letters going around, and so they didn't know, was this from Paul or not? So you can see why they would be confused, and Paul says, no, 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 Here's, this is my handwriting. This is me. And so he says that you would not be disturbed by this message to the effect that when the Lord is coming. So he wanted them to be strong. For our struggle, he would write to the Ephesians. Our struggle, now get this, because this is key. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your struggle that you may have at work or in your family or in your neighborhood, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. That means people are not the problem. That means people are not the problem. You may see people as the problem. He says, we don't wrestle against people, flesh and blood, but we wrestle with flesh and blood because it's in the flesh and blood, the relationships that people really are in conflict. But it's not that the conflict doesn't come from the flesh and blood. The conflict comes from a different source. And this conflict, for those who are in Thessalonica, are really attacking and persecuting the believers. But Paul says that we, our struggle is against the powers of this dark world. And if you can't discern that power of the dark world that's out to destroy, you will falsely accuse the person who's causing conflict because they're not the cause. They're not the source. It's coming from some other source that's guiding them. These spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. The God of this age would also like to blind the believers. And that's why they were writing this book, because he's trying to get them off course to distort the message, to say, that's not going to happen. Peace and safety. What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants so that we can get you back on track. Now, they can't see. They cannot see the light of the gospel that displays that glory of Christ. Let me ask you a question. I don't know if you've ever been around blind people or working with people who can't see and and are needing help and assistance. What do you do How do you treat, how do you respond to blind people? Do you tell them what to do? Do you criticize them for their blindness? Do you say, you're going the wrong way, you know? No, no, you honor, you respect, you come alongside and you serve. You're kind. 
But if you don't have this understanding of compassion to someone who's blind, you may fault them, get away from them, not want to be involved with them. But Paul understood this blindness because when on the Damascus Road, when he saw the light, the scales fell from his eyes. He understood he was once blind. And that blindness enabled him to have compassion for those who were persecuting the church. Now, who were those persecutors who were attacking these young believers in Thessalonica? Who were they? And what were they hoping for? Now, can you imagine being in the church and somebody coming up and say, Paul is a liar. Christ is not coming. And, and if he gives this false teaching, what, what are they trying to do? Besides blind the believers and mislead. But what are they want, why are they doing that? Why do people do what they do? They have a hope that if I can persuade you, if I can convince you, if I can influence you to stay away from Christ, then you maybe follow me or for whatever motivates that person. But you have to really understand, what is this persecutor trying to do? And then the question is, uh, as you listen to people as they're trying to influence you, and I don't know about you, but you should trust your gut. If you feel like there's something intuitively uncomfortable, you should pay attention to what's going on in your body. In your emotional, you think, hmm, I've got something that's not right. Pay attention to, to those red flags. And you'd be more sensitive to those influences. Yesterday, I told you I went to that conference. And I was sensitized uh, I, for many times in my life. I, I met this pastor. We had lunch together. And uh, he was of a particular denominational persuasion. I won't go into which one. But I remember him uh, joining in the conversation, and uh, he had an agenda. And his agenda was his denominational bent. A good guy, a brother in Christ, no, no, don't hear me criticize him, but he did this. He said, well, he said, uh, how did you become involved in the ministry and become a Christian, so on and so forth? And I said to him, well, I hadn't been in church by the time I was 19, I'd been in church only five times, and I didn't know a single Christian before I was 19. That's true. Only in church for three weddings, and I didn't know squat from Diddley. The guy said, well, oh, I see. So you, you needed to hear the law, the law that would convict you of sin. And, and, and so these guys who came to share Christ, you, you weren't under conviction of the law. I said, no, it wasn't that or that, but no. He said, well, you didn't have the grace, you didn't understand the grace that God had given a covenant promise that you were going to be brought into the, I said, no, that wasn't it. Well, you, you must have wanted to, to change your life. I said, no, that was, and the more he kept pushing, I thought, this guy isn't listening at all. He's coming from his worldview and imposing his worldview, his Christian thinking on me. And all the time I'm th thinking, I have to explain myself. No, that's not it. No, that's not it. I didn't come to Christ because I wanted to go to heaven. I didn't come to Christ because I wanted to escape hell. And he thought, well, that's, what you, that's why you come to Christ. That's why you know, there's a problem here. You're separated from God and you need Christ to get into heaven. I said, well, that wasn't it for me. 
and it just threw him for a loop. And he just couldn't understand, I wasn't wrestling with sin. Sin and I were compatible. (laughs) But he tried to impose his system on me. He wasn't persecuting me, but he was trying to persuade me according to his view the way the Christian life is, and he put me in a box. And I just didn't fit, I never fit in that box. But I said, it was a simple thing, a very, very simple thing for me. If God made me and wanted a relationship with me, there was nothing in my life that I could point to that said I have a relationship with Jesus. And if Jesus wanted to know me, why why would not I want to know Christ? I didn't have an answer for that question. I just knew I didn't know him, I didn't know how to know him, and I didn't want to know him. But he wanted to know me, and he pursued me. That's the background that I come from, that Christ is pursuing people, not with an agenda. He genuinely wants to know who you are and invite you into the presence that you would, you would, you would find that joy of Christ, that thrill of Christ, that he loves you. And he's out to, for your best interests. To have Christ as your friend, not just as a savior going to heaven. You get this ticket, you get on the train, you get there. Well, what do you do when you get there? You meet with Christ, to spend time with the Father, to spend time understanding what all that's about. But, but this pastor tried to impose, instead of inviting me into a discussion about how I came to Christ. He started with himself and went out from there. That's what the persecutors were doing. They were starting with themselves, imposing them, their beliefs on these Thessalonians, and they were dismissing it. Well, the thing about hope, hope is very powerful. But the hope of the persecutor was to get you off base. But I'm going to turn this around. Remember when, when Garland would read the story about Exodus? And, and when Moses was leading Israel out of Egypt? Remember Moses' story? What did the Pharaoh try to do to destroy Moses? What did he do with the young men, young babies of the Hebrews? He tried to drown them put Moses in a basket so, so, so they could drown the babies. Now, it's interesting that Satan was involved with that, trying to destroy the Hebrew line because through that line would come the Messiah. But I want you to hear something that Arnold Fruchtenbaum, a Jewish theologian from Dallas Seminary, he said this thought, and that's why I stole it from him. I mean, I borrowed it from him. He says, God will take the strategies of Satan and use them right back at Satan. As they tried to drown the Hebrew boys, how did Jesus, how did God deal with the Egyptian army? In the same way he drowned the horse and the rider in the sea. Because that was their plan, the judgment that they used against the Hebrews, God would use against them. I'm going to use that same principle, that if Satan is going to torment you and try to destroy you, I invite you to think, I'm going to take his strategy and I'm going to use it on him. I'm going to torment the tormentor. I'm going to undo the undoer. 
I'm going to overcome evil, not with evil, but with good. And therefore, this hope, this hope, this faith, that when you move into a fallen world with people who are trying to push their agenda, you listen and you undo and overturn and overcome as you engage the people. And this is what it says about hope. That hope and faith go together. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, what we're pursuing, and it's the assurance. There's the strength. Instead of the worry and the fear, there's this confidence of saying, I know who I am in Christ. I know who Christ is in me. And that, that idea that your faith would be solid and strong, enough to say to Satan, be gone. Punch him in the nose. You are strong in Christ. In yourself, you can't handle it. But in Christ, you've got the king of kings. And you and God make, make all the army that you need to deal with that. So let, write this down. What you hope for, you live for. What you hope for, you live for. And if you hope to change and influence people by engaging them with the grace of the gospel, you can have an influence, not because you're trying to impose your agenda, but because you're turning the tables and bringing them out of the darkness into the light. What you hope for, you live for. You pursue. But what it means for you as a believer, what it meant for those Thessalonians, that you have to understand what's going on. As Proverbs would say, a plan in the heart of a man is like deep water. But a man of understanding draws it out. What do you say to a criminal who wants to continue to hurt people? Why are you doing that? What's your hope? What do you get out of this? Are you satisfied? And you enter into their world, but you're listening to the evil that's destroying them. But you listen with a sense of compassion. I don't wrestle with this guy. Oh, there's a guy in prison because he hit the mother of his two-year-old daughter. They're not married. Seven weeks out of jail, he takes drugs and he starts beating this woman. Breaks her face, breaks her nose. Evil has destroyed that man. How do you get involved with people who want to destroy violence? It's just, they need to be rescued. Well, who are the persecutors? What were they hoping for? Who's behind that work? Again, as you know, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit of this age. And that same spirit that Paul's talking about was the same spirit that helped that guy beat that woman up. He's going back to prison for eight years. He spent more time in prison than he has been outside of prison in his life. He's only like 36 years old. And so you have this tension that men are against men. It's the man's inhumanity to man. And there's conflict everywhere until you come to the table of the Lord. And there's reconciliation. So the question for you is what was Paul's hope for these Thessalonians? How did he want them to handle evil? Well, look at this. He says, I don't want you to worry don't worry, don't fear. Don't mind these guys out there who are disturbing you because you know who you are in Christ. 
don't worry that the second coming hasn't occurred. There's going to be some things next week. We'll talk and we'll finish 2 Thessalonians next week. But he said there are things that are going to have to come. The man of lawlessness will have to be revealed and there's going to be a great apostasy. So be prepared because Paul is equipping and preparing them because he wants them not to be duped. And then he says, I want you to be discerning. Christian, be discerning. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirit, said John, to see if they are from God. If they have an agenda, it could be an evil agenda, it could be a cultural agenda, personal agenda. But people were trying to undermine Paul's work. Third, he says, your faith is strong enough. When you go through this tribulation, you'll handle it. Christian, you are strong. Remember when Jesus would say, in Matthew 5, if somebody hits you, strikes you in the cheek, turn the cheek. What did he mean by that? If somebody asks you for a cloak, give them two. What did he mean by that? If he says, you're going to pick up this bag and you're going to walk a mile, says this Roman commander to this Jewish man, he said, well, walk two miles. What did Jesus mean by that? He meant, you can handle it. You're strong enough to have any attack on you, any request of you, that you won't be defined by somebody overcoming you with unbelievable odds because you will, you will be strong. You can handle the pain. You can handle the persecution. You are strong, Christian. And Jesus wanted them to know that. And he, Paul would go on to write, you overcome evil because you are good. And evil is tormented by good. Evil can't take hope. Evil can't take grace. Evil can't take love. Evil just dissolve. It can't, doesn't know what to do with it except attack it. But you are good. And you don't attack. You listen, listen, love, love. For what you hope for is that persecutor, that violent man, that person who's really in conflict, come out of that spirit into a wholly different world. And that's what Paul says. If you understand that I have come that they might have life, that's what your hope for is. You are, you are one who passes out hope because you can handle the evil. But it goes way beyond management. It goes into heaven. You're really inviting people into another world that they can't even see because they're blind. Now Paul is saying that to these Thessalonians. The same word is for us today. You are stronger in Christ than you realize. Therefore, don't be disturbed by the spirits of the world. Don't be disturbed by the news. Don't be disturbed by anybody because you can handle this confusion and the chaos. That's why <clears throat> we understand that you have to see with redemptive eyes. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We don't struggle against flesh and blood. We struggle against these principalities. And the way you do that, through the word, through prayer, the power of your testimony, and the fellowship of the believers. But we'll look at next week. I just want you to hear Paul wrote that second letter to, to firm their faith, to encourage them and empower them to say, you can handle this. 
And God's got another purpose for that tribulation we'll talk about next week. Let's close. Father, your word gives us a way to think about things that we don't think about. You're so different than we are. You're a holy other. And yet when the spirit comes in, you war against our flesh and the flesh will war against you. Father, give us that grace, that peace, that calmness, that kindness that we can handle whatever comes our way, that we would reflect Christ and his grace in all things. Father, give us a vision to engage those who are blind, not with our agenda, but with yours, that you would be, they would be introduced to the goodness of God and that they would taste the glory of salvation. And so, Father, with that, we just thank you for this morning. We worship you, that you are alive and well, that the lion is roaring, but you are pursuing us. And we are stronger in you than anybody in this world. And we thank, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.